Well, it is uh, with great pleasure that I can speak to you today. And uh, Ian Murray gave me great freedom in choosing a subject for today's talk. He said anything that you think would be particularly helpful for the people here. And I thought, what better subject to speak upon than something that has been really helpful for me in my ministry at Dremoyne Baptist for the last five years. And that is on the subject of what is it that we measure a pastor by to see whether he is successful or a church itself. What makes a church a success? And this is something that we wrestle with a lot, particularly when we consider the subject of numbers and attendance at local churches. If you're a pastor, are you someone who does count the numbers of people who attend Sunday by Sunday? Do you find that numbers are actually very important to you? And so that when you go home on a Sunday afternoon, you know that you had a good Sunday morning or a Sunday evening based on whether there are lots of people there. And if there weren't very many people at your church, does that mean it was a bad Sunday for you and you go home greatly discouraged and wondering about yourself and your uh, success as a pastor? Are numbers a valid way of evaluating a church, a pastor? And so my first main point this afternoon is success appears to be measured by numbers. My first main point is success appears to be measured by numbers. We have this thrown at us from all around us. Firstly, in the business world, it teaches us quite regularly that numbers are a great measure of success. Numbers of employees, numbers of clients, numbers of assets, numbers of dollars pouring in. Amazon, one of its big goals is to just be big, not necessarily to make lots of money, but just to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so numbers from the business perspective are the one that you use. They are the measure. They are the thermometer that you use to measure success of your business. But even in the religious world, we see that numbers are important. Just think of the book that I find very helpful. I use it every Sunday for a prayer meeting, Operation World. It's just completely full of statistics about the countries of the world, measuring all the uh, the religions of the world and how many people hold to this religion and that religion within different countries of the world. And even the Christian world, you see, measures numbers and even in the Bible, numbers are something that are indeed measured. You look at the Old Testament and the promises given to Abraham, the promises do include numbers. Abraham is to look up at the stars in the sky and he has promised great numbers will come from him. And then you look at Israelite numbers in the Old Testament are given very carefully. They number how many people leave from exile. Numbers are very important. And there can be whole lists in the Old Testament that we just sort of skim through. But we know that they must have been very important to the people that were recording how many people uh, were at a particular place in a particular time. And then in the New Testament, we see numbers counted again. We see large crowds following around Jesus and the, the crowds are estimated at uh, so many uh, that Jesus can't even eat to try and give us a sense of how many people are there trying to hear him speak and trying to touch him and have him grant miracles for them. And even at one time, he's, it's like he's going to get crushed by the crowds. There are so many people there, which gives us an idea of the numbers of people wanting to see Jesus. And then, of course, numbers are actually recorded. Jesus fed 5,000. He fed 4,000, not including women and children. 
And so numbers are there in the New Testament. And then we see through church history, people have a focus on numbers again. We see with revivals, people like George Whitfield. There are good conservative estimates. There's some exaggerated ones apparently as well, but there's conservative estimates given as to how many people he preached to. And also for people like Spurgeon. You see, people talk about how many people heard Spurgeon preach. And Spurgeon himself even speaks about the importance of numbers for measuring a, uh, a preacher's success. In his book, The Soul Winner, Spurgeon says, He that never saved a sinner after years of work is not a minister of Christ. He that never saved a sinner after years of work is not a minister of Christ. If you haven't saved a sinner after years of work, you're not a minister of Christ. And then in my own experience, this day and age, we moved on through church history, and people still have a focus on numbers. I find that when I tell someone that I'm a pastor of a church, they'll say, oh, right. And they'll say, where is that church that you're a pastor of? And I mention the suburb, and then what's the very next question that follows? Is it a big church? How many people at that church? Is it a small church? There's this focus upon numbers immediately as people are trying to find out about your church. So are numbers a valid measure of success for a pastor, for a church? Well, that brings me to my second main point this afternoon. Success measured by numbers can easily be questioned. Yes, we see a tradition of recording numbers, but it can be questioned whether numbers are a measure of success. And this was first awakened to me when I started out in the ministry. I came straight from college to Dremoyne Baptist, and I've been there ever since, and I had this understanding that if I came and preached faithfully from God's word, then not necessarily revival would break out, but, you know, I would preach and, and people would come and people would want to hear God's truth explained in all its fullness and, and, and the church would steadily grow. I mean, it was a very small church when I arrived there, but, you know, of course, you start with a core and what do you see? It, it, can, it can grow and increase. And that's what I would see. But then after two years, three years... It, I don't see major changes. People come, yes, but then people go, a bit of a transient community, and you know, what's going on here? And I wrestled with my success as a pastor. Am I a bad pastor? What's the problem here? Is it my preaching? Is it my prayer life? Am I not praying enough? Or can I blame the suburb that I'm in? For those of you who are from Sydney, you may know a little bit about the suburb of Des Moines. It's a very wealthy community very Roman Catholic community. So I can maybe go down that path and say, oh, well, the reason I'm not seeing the numbers here is because of the area that I'm ministering in. Or is it that the numbers aren't such a measure of success after all? And when we start to look at the scriptures once again, we see that people in the scriptures who are godly people sometimes have very few people following after them and listening to them, and responding to their ministry. For example, Noah. How many people with him in the ark? Only seven other people. Eight in all were saved. And then we see Moses. He has this massive multitude around him, but let's face it, how many are actually following faithfully Moses' teaching? Some points, it seems like Moses is the only one, and God's ready to remove all the rest of the Israelites and focus on Moses. He even has trouble with his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. 
So Moses has this huge crowd community, mission field to work in, but how many people are actually responding well to his ministry? And what about Elijah? He felt at one point that he was the only one. And yes, there were others that had not bowed the knee to Baal. But, yeah, I mean, if he felt that way, then obviously the circles he was swimming in at that point weren't really responding to his ministry at all. And then we know that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're told that they will go to people who will not listen, that people will have hard hearts to their messages. Are they not successful people? Those prophets, are they somehow not a success in the eyes of God? And Jesus himself, when he had large numbers of people coming to to hear him preach and to see him do miracles, but many turned away at points as well. And then Paul, he's hounded from town to town. Yes, he sees lots of people follow him, but then at one point in Timothy, he says everybody's deserted him. Are we going to say that Paul was not a success? That because the numbers weren't following him, he was unsuccessful as a pastor, as a preacher? And the rest of church history tells a similar story as well. Yes, there are the Whitfields, there are the Spurgeons, there are the Lloyd-Jones, and they're encouraging to read of the revivals that come. But what about William Carey? Many years he spends in India before he sees a single convert. We're going to say that Carey was unsuccessful because of the numbers that he was experiencing in his ministry? And what about today? Would we say that a pastor of a small church in the Middle East where Christianity is persecuted heavily, that he's a failure? He might only have his family and one other family that he's trying to minister and and protect and look after and build up in the faith. Is he a failure because he doesn't have a huge following? Um, Conversely, if we consider some of the mega churches in the States, the United States, Uh, Would we say that because they're so big, that the pastors must be a great success in the eyes of God? Where they have thousands of people attending their services uh, Sunday after Sunday, are they a success? Or can we question whether success is measured by numbers? Is there another way to measure success of a pastor of a church? Well, that brings me to my third main point this afternoon. Success is measured by faithfulness. Success is measured by faithfulness. And that passage that we just had read for us by Keith, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, gives a good overruling principle of faithfulness to God and that that is the measure of a servant of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, that those who are stewards, must prove faithful. They must prove faithful. Not they must prove by large numbers, but they must prove faithful. And it's interesting, I had wrestled with this concept, and uh, a book that I'll mention in a moment was very helpful for me in particular, And I thought that this would be a good subject to talk at this conference where I know that many of the pastors may be of small charges here. And so it may be an encouragement to them. And after that, I started preparing the talk. And then I was reading old issues of this magazine some of you may have heard of called The Banner of Truth. And uh, I was in issue number uh, number 173 from February in 1978. 
And I was reading this article written by someone you may know called Ian Murray, and it just fell into my lap. I thought it was the providence of God uh, that I would read this when I'd already chosen the subject matter and was working down this path. And Ian Murray said in 1978, he said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is speaking of the building of the church and the overruling principle which is laid down, he states in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Then Ian Murray continues, he says, Servants of Christ, he says, have different, different work to do. Some have to plant, others have to water, but faithfulness towards God is the rule for all. When Christ comes, we shall be judged not by the results we achieved, but by obedient labour rendered in God's cause. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. And Ian Murray continues, Christ says to us what he said to the, his church in Smyrna, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And he goes on to say, The world wants to judge everything by results. Can a man fill a church? Who is most successful? And how can we be equally successful? This is not the biblical yardstick. It is required that a man be found faithful. And so that is in Murray's view, and it comes straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It is not about numbers that we measure a pastor. It is, we still measure him, but we measure him by faithfulness. The world may not be impressed by small numbers, but we've got to remember that God is impressed if faithfulness accompanies those small numbers. So then you may question, so what does it mean to be faithful? How do we express faithfulness? If I'm a pastor and I'm not to use numbers as a measure of success, how do I express this faithfulness? Well, in the book that first triggered me to uh, measuring my, my work as a pastor by something other than numbers, uh, Kent Hughes speaks about faithfulness and how we should measure our ministries. And it's in this book called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, which is also the title of my talk today. And it's by Kent Hughes. And in this book, he actually looks at what is faithfulness as a pastor. And he talks about serving, loving, believing, prayer, holiness, and attitude. So he has a whole list of ways that you can demonstrate faithfulness, that you can work at faithfulness if you want to be a pastor that is a success in the eyes of God. And as helpful as this book has been for me, I thought, though, that another way of distilling it all down to work out whether you are a successful pastor in the eyes of God would be to simply go with the qualifications for an elder that are given by Paul to Timothy. Basically, he talks about being godly. That if you're a godly person, you live a godly life, a holy life, that qualifies you to be an elder. And that, even if we already are an elder, should be how we continue to measure whether we should continue as an elder. Are you godly? Yes. Well then, you still fit that qualification. And then what else does Timothy talk about with qualification for an elder? He should be apt to teach, able to teach. 
Are you teaching the word of God faithfully? If you teach the word of God faithfully, if you preach the word in season and out of season, which implies that you may have times where there's not much growth at all, if you do that, then you are a good pastor. If you are living a godly life and teaching faithfully from the word, And of course, if you want to know more about how to teach faithfully from the word, then get the talk from our brother Murray from last night where he spoke about that, how to faithfully preach the word. But you may be saying, okay, well, I'm not supposed to use numbers as my thermometer for my ministry and I'm supposed to be faithful, okay, and that means being godly and teaching the word. But it's still very hard. And I know I'm from a small church, as you may have gathered and it's hard then to Sunday after Sunday preach to a crowd who is not much of a crowd at all how do you continue to be faithful under such discouragement can you actually cultivate faithfulness in spite of the discouragement of not much fruit results coming in through the door Sunday by Sunday Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this afternoon. Successful faithfulness can be cultivated. Successful faithfulness can be cultivated. I've got a few ideas as to how you can cultivate faithfulness in spite of discouragements. Ideas that have been helpful for me as I've been working uh, for five years now at Dremoyne. Number one is cultivate faithfulness in a small church by learning contentment. Cultivate faithfulness in a small church by learning contentment. Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We need to learn contentment in all areas of life and including in the ministry. We need to learn to be content in the situation that God has put us in. The small church that we are in, we need to learn to be content there. But how do you learn to be content? I mean, Paul says he's learnt it, but how do you actually get to be content? Well, there's one other book that's been really helpful for me in ministering in a small church. Uh, The first is Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. The other is this wonderful book, which is a jewel within itself. And it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. And this book teaches you contentment. It is an excellent book. Uh, He goes through at one point in the book and gives us a number of ways to be content. And I just wanted to give two of those to you today that have been helpful for me. The first is subtracting from your own desires. Subtracting from your own desires. We have to learn to keep our desires in control. And that includes desires that we have run away with us to have a large church. We have to cut those down. If you want to be content, you must get your desires under control in every area of your life, including in your pastoral ministry, if you are a pastor, if you're a preacher. You have to get that under control, or otherwise you will be discontented and you will be discouraged. 
because you've let your desires run away from you. And Jeremiah Burroughs gives us excellent advice on how to rein in those desires to learn contentment. And the other way uh, that I like from Jeremiah Burroughs on contentment is, of course, changing the affliction into benefit, recognizing that pain is gain, that the discouragement you may be feeling is something that God is giving you for your benefit. We often feel that whenever suffering comes into our lives, that it has to be bad. It's necessarily bad. But God uses suffering. God uses the experiences that we have that are painful to actually make us stronger. And so if you want to learn contentment, I encourage you to read this book. There is one copy I checked up on the back uh, before I got up to speak to you today. And it's there and it's available. Um, I'm sure uh, you can get more copies if you um, order through Reformers. It is a wonderful book. And that's just two of the ideas for you to learn how to be content. So first thing we need to do, if you want to cultivate successful faithfulness, is you must learn contentment. The second thing that you can do to cultivate faithfulness in a small church, in the discouraging environment, is by clinging to Calvinist theology. Clinging to Calvinist theology. I love Banner of Truth conferences because we're all on the same page here. Uh, My church is a Baptist church. My church is part of the Baptist Union, and and I tentatively within that to some extent, but I get varied views from around me, and it's so wonderful when I come to a Banner of Truth conference and I'm able to be amongst Reformed brethren and enjoy spending time with you. And... The Reformed doctrine is something that is so satisfying, so encouraging for us, particularly when we are struggling with measuring our church, measuring our own selves as pastors by numbers. Why? Well, if you're a Calvinist, if you hold to the doctrines of grace, then you know, firstly, that regeneration is not the work of man. It is the work of God. And so if you preach to people, it is not your job to bring about regeneration, conversion in the people that are are listening to you. That's God's job. And if you ever think that you somehow can bring about the conversion of people around you, then of course you're going to start despairing in your ministry if you do not see growth, because of course it is all your fault. But if you understand that the results are God's results and that is not your domain to play in, that is not your area, it's God who brings about regeneration, then of course you can have great comfort in that. You can live your godly life. You can teach the word faithfully and then leave the results in God's hands. He is the one who regenerates. So that's the first reason why Calvinist theology is so helpful for us if we are struggling with discontentment about numbers in our church. The second way Calvinist theology helps as well is by remembering that the best possible situation for us to be in is the one we're currently in. If we believe God is sovereign in all things, that includes the fact that you are where you are at any given time. That if you're in a small church, that's because that's exactly where God wants you to be. If you were supposed to be pastoring a big church, 
then you would be there because God is sovereign. He's in control of it all. And so if you are struggling to understand why are people not coming, why is there not revival happening in my suburb, remember that that's because God doesn't want it to happen at this stage. And he always works for the good of those who love him. And if you love him, then he wants you in that particular charge that you have with a small church. He always has you exactly in the right spot for you to be. And as soon as you start to understand that, then of course you have a sense of peace. You can understand that God has you exactly where he wants you. And it is the best possible place for you to be. And if you try and push yourself somewhere else, if you are somehow able to take yourself out of God's sovereign purposes and put yourself somewhere where you think is better, then it wouldn't be working for your good. And so you need to just commit yourselves into your all-knowing, all-loving, all-sovereign God and be peace at peace in that situation that you are placed in. So being a Calvinist, being reformed, is of immense stability for a pastor that struggles with small numbers of people in his church because you start to understand that the reformed theology is the great encouragement for you. And it's a great blessing to be a Calvinist then. And then thirdly, Another way to cultivate faithfulness in a small church is by remembering that God can be glorified greatly in small churches. And this is probably the most important point we can understand because that's what we should be all about, is God's glory. That's our chief end after all, isn't it? Is to glorify God. And so we should remember that God is glorified even in our ministry in a small church. How? Surely God is glorified by big churches, not small churches. How can God be glorified in a small church? Well, firstly, by the fact that a pastor gets up Sunday after Sunday preaching to a small church doesn't see much positive results in the terms of people turning greatly to the Lord, the fact that he does that Sunday by Sunday shows God's power at work in his life. If it was up to him, he'd pull out. But the fact that he continues to do so shows that there is something supernatural at work in that pastor's life. And that's the whole idea of... Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as well, where, God, uh, where Paul speaks about how God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's amazing when God uses what seems from the world's perspective to be a failure or something very weak, but then it continues, then it has to be something supernatural happening there. And so the fact that a pastor continues to minister to a small flock Sunday after Sunday can give God much glory because it just seems to fly in the face of everything else 
It flies in the face of all the church growth books that you might read, that you must move on to a different suburb or you're doing something wrong. But the fact that he keeps going Sunday after Sunday demonstrates there's something else going on. And that is that God is working in that person's life. And so God gets the glory. Not that man, God gets the glory because he continues Sunday after Sunday. And how else can God be glorified? By a pastor working in a small church? Well, there's one other way which I haven't really been able to experience yet, and I may never, but God can be glorified by a pastor being in a small church initially and then growth coming along. See, the thing is, if I continue to serve at Dremoyne Baptist and, Lord willing, he then starts to bring people along to my church, who will get the glory for that? Will I have changed anything? I don't think so. I mean, my preaching may get a bit better over time and uh, hopefully it does. And, but, and my godliness. And, but the, generally speaking, there's nothing that will have changed in my ministry. And so something else must be drawing people in. What is that? It has to be God. I think that if I had started at Dremoyne Baptist in the first year, I'd seen large numbers of people come to the Lord. I would have acknowledged God and, his, and given him glory in that. But I wonder how much glory I may have stolen and think, yes, Dremoyne Baptist was small until Joel Radford came along. And it's Joel Radford's preaching. It's Joel Radford's prayer and his godliness. And, and so it's Joel Radford that is part of it. Yes, yes, God, he gets the glory. But I think I would have stolen a fair amount of glory. But I know now if there are large numbers of people coming to Dremoyne Baptist, if God sends revivals for some reason to Dremoyne Baptist in the future or to your church, and you don't change a thing, you keep teaching the word the way you've always taught it. You keep praying the way you've always prayed. You keep working at godliness the way you've always worked at godliness. Then what is the reason why people are suddenly coming? It's all of God. And so he gets the glory. He may be putting you through training at this point, humbling you down so that when people come, if they ever do come, you are going to give God far more glory through being pastor of a small church initially rather than the pastor of a large church. So there are some helpful ideas that have been very good for me in ministering in a small church. And so I think we can see today that numbers are not the measure of a successful ministry. A pastor who is godly and faithfully teaching the word is a success, regardless of his church's size. And we can cultivate such faithfulness through learning contentment, having good theology, understanding of regeneration, understanding of God's control of our own lives, and having a love for God's glory, that he loves to glorify himself in the small things of this world. So if you're a pastor here, how do you evaluate your ministry? When someone asks you how your church is going, 
or asks you about your church, do you speak in terms of numbers? How many people you have there? How much growth you've seen in the last couple of years? Is that where you focus on initially to demonstrate whether your church is a good church and whether you're a good pastor? Or do you speak about the fact that you are still preaching the gospel? You haven't moved on the gospel that you first believed when you became a Christian and you're still sharing it with others in spite of opposition that you may be experiencing? Do you talk about the fact that you're still praying for God's kingdom, still loving Christ, that you're content in that church where you are? That's small church pastors. What about pastors here today? I mean, I have no idea where you all stand and how big your churches are. But what about if you've got a large church? Do you examine your own heart to see if you are faithful? I don't want to look like I'm someone who here taking a stab at pastors of bigger churches because I'm pastor of a smaller church. But I can think that if I was serving in a larger church, it might be easy for me to start to use the fact that there are lots of people coming to hear me on Sundays to give me the stamp that I'm doing something right. And I don't really need to examine my own life for godliness. I don't need to examine where do I stand theologically in my teaching of the word. Would you say that some pastors of some of the mega churches in America would not examine their theology because of the large numbers of people coming to them when they might, it might be a good idea for them to examine their theology? I think that's the case. I think if you're a pastor of a large church, it would be easy to think that you're okay when what you should be doing is doing what the pastors of a small church are doing as well, examining whether they are godly, examining whether they're teaching the word rightly. And if you're not a pastor of, this, of a church, I recognize that here at Banner of Truth there are some people who are not pastors here, if you're not a pastor of a church, how do you evaluate your pastor? How do you evaluate a church, a church that you might want to join? Do you look for big churches? They must be the good ones. They must be the ones that God is blessing and that God is happiest with because otherwise there wouldn't be anybody there. When you look at your pastor, do you look at his faithfulness in his life, godliness there, and faithfulness in teaching the word and evaluate him on that rather than on how many people are coming to hear your pastor preach. Because it's very easy to slip into that mode of thinking that your pastor is a good one because of how many people are there. After all, if you want numbers of people to come along on Sundays, you may as well just hire a comedian they bring in people all the time. But if you want a successful pastor, it can't be about numbers. It has to be about those qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy. Is he godly? Is he able to teach? And does he teach using that ability that God has given him? So I encourage us, let us rejoice in numbers. I'm going to sort of bolt this on at the end. Let us rejoice in numbers. I love reading about revivals. I love Banner of Truth books for that reason. 
They're some of my favourite books is because they speak so much about large numbers of people coming to embrace Jesus Christ as they should. But we've got to be very careful about measuring people by numbers. Let's not make numbers the test of success. But instead, let success be those who are faithful. Those who are faithful in godliness, faithful in teaching the word, even if they don't see much visible fruit for their labour. Let us use that as the test rather than numbers. Let us come before our God and speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving so many of us the wonderful charge of being pastors of your flock, of preaching the word. Lord, we pray that we may be people who examine our hearts indeed to see where we are at, to see if we are a success not in the eyes of the world, but a success in your eyes, whether we are being godly and holy in the way that we live, and whether we are faithfully teaching the word. And if we are, may we be content in that, knowing that you are pleased with us. And on that day, we'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.